0: Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder and partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with a very special guest, Deepin Parikh of Courtside Ventures. Deepin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. Deepin, what is Courtside Ventures? What's the thesis behind it?
1: So Courtside Ventures, we're an early stage fund that invests in technology across the disintermediation of sports uh, industries so from content creation, distribution, and consumption as it relates to the sports industry. And that can include traditional sports, esports and gaming, fitness, health, wellness, and of course, Big buzzword in the U.S. these days, gambling.
0: Yes. Okay, so we're going to go into all of them. Course I Adventure co-founded with Dan Gilbert as founding a, a limited partner. Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, so have a lot of domain expertise. And what is your background that has led you to Course Ventures? What is your expertise?
1: Yeah, so my background came from uh, more financial world. So I was at UBS for – that's where I started my career. And after three years and hitting the bottom of the market in 2009 and ten. I uh, decided to make a jump and been in the sports industry since. So running my own company, I was building a CRM platform for professional college sports teams, worked at a family office that was heavily involved in sports and looking to acquire a pro sports franchise, uh, and then spent the last three years before Courtside uh, working at an incubator and a venture fund in New York. Ironically, not involved in sports, but had an opportunity with Courtside Ventures and uh, my partner, Vasu, who... Couldn't be here today, but he also has a really strong domain expertise in the sports industry, having started a company called Crossover, which was one of the largest technology products for the youth sports industry.
0: You know, venture capital, you sort of assume sort of a 1% outlier rate and the game is unicorns and outliers, whereas in private equity, you don't want to lose money. Is this a venture firm, a, a traditional venture firm, and sports tech exits having similar exits to other industries or...
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, we often face the question of sports tech in the, in the most pure sense of sports tech. We actually don't believe is that investable from a venture capacity for the fact that it's generally when people say sports tech, the assumption is that it's selling to a limited number of customers, professional sports teams, leagues, media companies. The reality is sports is way broader. The way we encompass sports is, like I said, across all the different verticals, but sports at the end of the day is a religion. Yeah. And for people all over the world, they treat it, you know, a lot more than just something that they watch for a couple hours a week. It means it's their identity. It's where they're from. It's where they've been. It's where they're going. And truthfully, if you look at the, the Atlantic had this awesome piece five years ago about how sports is ritualistic in nature. And a lot of the rituals that people do really dictate kind of how they function, how they operate, who their friends are. It's so really what we invest in is communities. And so we invest in technology that either is part of the creation part, part of the capture part, part of the analysis part, distribution or consumption across the vertical. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be direct to consumer, but really any technology or infrastructure um, that either sits on the back end that helps create a better experience or things even directly on the consumer side, like the athletic, like right. we were chatting about, which creates a unique and enhanced experience for sports fans on a local base.
0: So let's create sort of a market map in real time of yeah. the types of companies courtside invests in. So there's the athletic, which is a subscription, you know, content uh, business around sports, which is doing absolutely fantastic. There's something like a hundred thieves, which is a sports team itself yeah. in, in esports. What are other types of companies and examples?
1: Yeah, so the way we break down our opportunity set is really four major areas. And that's one is sports, technology, and live events. And that's more technology focused, less so on the consumer side, but more so on the infrastructure side.
0: think like a live nation or something. Like, what are examples of like?
1: So, an example of that is uh, a company called Listener, which is an inaudible <laughs> frequency that actually creates started out by being a retention and marketing tool for people as they're sitting in a stadium or arena. Today, they have a deal with Ticketmaster where there's an inaudible ping from your phone to these sensors as you're walking to an arena or stadium. So you don't have to swipe your ticket anymore. Right, And it creates a better experience, creates more data, creates a lot more information that not only benefits the consumer side, but also the teams. So live event also encompasses everything from you know, there are NBA arenas that have events 250 days a year, right? That's not just the one team that's playing there. And so what else kind of factors into that? So that's a big area of what we look at. The next is sports, digital media. So digital media, really sports is a subset of media at the end of the day. And so digital media side is more so from a standpoint of more consumer oriented. So looking at stuff like the athletic, but also a company like tap, which we're investors in that actually creates prepaid cards and allows people to buy those prepaid cards in retail settings, so like Costco, Walmart, more like gift cards. And so it's a media linked gift card. So if I buy that card and they work with MLB, so I can walk into Walmart right now and buy an MLB game month or season. And It's a really interesting dynamic because it allows people to be able to access content wherever and whenever they are. Stuff like that or a company like LiveLike that uh, is a software layer that enables media companies to not only produce but also distribute their content in immersive. So from VR, also 360, stuff like that. Um, So those are kind of two of the buckets. Uh, Another one is... Fitness, health and athletic performance. So we look very heavily similar to more traditional sports. Fitness is all about the community aspect. When people talk about the biggest brands, CrossFit, Peloton, there's one overarching theme. And that is people have bought into the mantra of what those brands sell and encompass, right? It's, it's really hard to go to someone and you'll find very few people who say they love both soul cycle and flywheel. Right. Like you, you gravitate towards a certain right. brand that kind of encompasses your ethos. Exactly. Person. And so that's why fitness, especially with a younger audience and demographic that is growing more disposable income, much more higher willingness to pay for experiences in health, um, has really created a massive opportunity, uh, for us, not only on the B2B side. So we're investors in a company that actually runs fitness amenities programs for the residential real estate industry. So if you live in a a residential building and you see a personal trainer, you see group classes, it's likely run by this company. And it's smart because they do enterprise sales uh, and they hire hundreds and thousands of personal trainers across the country. So they're the network. Wow. Or the consumer side, uh, like a company called Freeletics, which are investors in Europe, which is one of the largest digital fitness products in Europe. And they appeal to a more hardcore uh, almost a digital CrossFit type customer. Um, and then as part of that kind of athlete performance is really important. Obviously, with ties to folks like Dan, who've been incredibly helpful to us, just understanding what athletes are doing today, how data is impacting their preparation, the recovery, preventative. Those are all really big areas for us. And we try to avoid investing in stuff that only appeals to elite athletes. But we think testing with the elite athletes right. is amazing at the end of the day because okay, that market. amazing go-to-market and also gives you the best validation right. you're possibly going to get. So totally. we generally look for stuff we can test with elite athletes and then push out to a more general weekend warrior consumer. And then eSports and gaming, uh, which has become a very large area of focus for us. The initial assumption from a lot of people was, hey, if you're doing pro sports, eSports is the same thing. The reality is it's... It's so different in terms of the way people engage with content, consume content, what they follow, what they like. You know, it's very much a, when you look at a league, a pro sports league, that's very different than a publisher. Publisher owns everything. Leagues obviously manage everything, but the teams are the ones that really. So they're just different dynamics that we've learned over the course of the last, you know, call it three years. Uh, but that's become a huge area of focus for us in esports, and then gaming, which we differentiate in the sense that esports is the participatory standpoint and kind of structural around competition. Gaming itself is traditional video game, which is still an eighty billion dollar plus industry a year. Um, so figuring out how do we how do we find the next incredible publisher how do we find the best marketing solution or the best latency platform Uh, and then finally the sports betting and gambling side Um, that's more a play where we're going to focus on infrastructure and technology I think it's going to require a lot of money if you want to build the next great consumer brand in gambling already a lot of people trying to do that but we think startups probably will have challenges in trying to compete dollar for dollar with a lot of the bigger folks there today we think startups can have a huge impact on the infrastructure and technology side of what drives those industries.
0: So to recap, digital content, things like the athletic, yep, sort of B two B infrastructure, things like Listener, esports, gaming, things like Hundred Thieves, the Meta, health and wellness, and gambling, yep, sports betting, got it. Let's go into each one. Perhaps esports, interesting because it also can touch on some of the Cavs stuff. So with a team like Hundred Thieves, is that similar to if you could bet on the you know, Cleveland Cavaliers or the Knicks when they were first starting out. And if so how do you measure them From uh, I hear that NBA teams are sort of valued at two to three X revenue. Here's how one thinks about sort of the venture potential outcome for an e-sports team.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think our our goal all along and there's some really phenomenal organizations out there in e-sports right now, people that have come from traditional sports backgrounds, people have come from media, people have not really been kind of have come from the gaming world altogether. What we wanted to do is we wanted to invest and in, be a part of a brand. Um, the challenge with esports is that today, is attractive as it is, we're still not seeing really, really, really aggressive brand dollars come in yet. And at the end of the day, brands is what drives every sport. If there weren't brand deals, there wouldn't be TV right. deals. And so as we're starting to build that up and the fact that as a team, you don't own sport you don't own the game you're buying into it it's a little different and so what we thought was instead of kind of investing into an existing team where there were definitely some great opportunities we wanted to go out and we wanted to be a part of building something or be a part of something from the ground up and so we were really fortunate early on courtside dan gilbert and love, love ventures you know folks like jake cohen from dvp and Blake, who's at uh, Ludlow Ventures, and, you know, we all kind of came together and we were looking at different opportunities and got to a point where we said, if we're going to do it, is is it worth us just trying to, you know, work together with someone who's already in the industry to build something? And so we're fortunate to partner up with, co-founded with a guy named Nadeshot, who's, you know, can't say enough amazing things about that guy who literally from scratch has built his own brand going from one of the most prolific call of duty players to becoming a true influencer and not in the sense of just kind of high level, but having real unique experiences and relationships with people all over the world. Yeah. And so he had uh, kind of this hundred thieves brand that we all got behind. Yeah. And we built that with the goal of obviously being a competitive esports team and they've done a hell of a job of, building it into real contender in League of Legends and we're in Fortnite, we're in a bunch of other games. But the goal really is over time, how do we build a lasting brand in the world of gaming? Right. And that has to be part apparel merchandise, that has to be part media company, that has to be part in the arena competition and you got to have a balance. Yeah. Um if you want to be able to be relatable people over the world
0: yeah it's interesting i have makes me think a lot about sort of differences in esports teams and nba teams one big difference of course is that hundred thieves can be multiple sort of sports within esports and you don't really see you know the calves branching off into different sports Mm -hmm. and so it sort of begs the question why not it begs the even bigger question which is why not create the own sport like it feels like you know the publishers have all the power and the nba has all the power but why not LeBron James or someone uh, say, you know what? We're making either our, our own league. Uh, come watch us. You know, we, we should be owning more of the league or our own sport. And it's like a mix of it's basketball. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sort of going off in different directions here. Yeah. But why don't we answer the, que- the questions in succession?
1: Yeah. So look, I think the publishers have control because they've created the IP. They own the IP, right? And it's you know, there's arguments to be made on all sides. The fact is they have an inherent built-in audience and an audience that on day one you can tap into is very, very meaningful than trying to build something from scratch entirely. Now, I'm sure that there will be games and people who are getting behind already happening, who are trying to create their own game or trying to create their own league around a specific game that maybe is not as large yet today, but will be. It could work. I don't think there's anything stopping you from it, but... The amount of infrastructure that is required to build not only a game, which is a very, very audacious goal in the first place, build a game that people are going to religiously follow and play for years to come. But on top of that, build a professional sporting league on top of it is a really big challenge. And so I I wouldn't discount the fact that people will start doing that more and more. The question for us, and I can't speak for 100 Thieves, right? The the team there knows a lot more than we do. But, you know, the goal is how do we build and play off a large audience? Yeah. And today, the fact is you play games that people are already playing. And there's already an audience there where we know we can be really good and we can appeal to them.
0: Yep. Let's look at the NBA. How does the NBA make most of its money?
1: Media. Media.
0: How... Does the NBA share, is there a revenue or equity with the teams?
1: So I can't speak to you know exact numbers, but there, there's a split, right? At the end of the day, any traditional pro sports league, and again, I yeah. won't go on specific type stuff, but at the end of the day, there's a commissioner of the league. Yeah. But the commissioner does effectively report to the team owners. Yeah. And the team owners are the ones who each own a piece of that league, right? So they're getting, the team owners get a share. And then, of course, the way it's broken down is there's collective bargaining agreements where players get a certain percentage, owners get a certain percentage. And that structure has been around for a long time and I think will be for the foreseeable future. However, it's gotten us thinking a lot about what is, is that's today. What about 30 years from now? What will people be playing? What will they watch? What will they care about? That was a big part of what drove our uh, investment in the drone racing league. And initially people said, wow, drone racing, like that's cool. Like, how are you going to build something around it? Truth is one, the founder, Nick is just phenomenal. He's a great executor on a vision, but the opportunity to own an entire sport or own a league where you own IP, Right, media dollars, yeah. you own the events, you own everything outright, retail, yeah. merch, everything was so unique that we felt as though investing in another basketball league is really tough because the media dollars are already taken by the NBA. But this afforded us an opportunity to invest in an entirely new sport.
0: Right. Imagine if you guys invest in UFC. Is that like an example? Absolutely. Of something that started as sort of a street sport and now has become this enormous commercial sport. So it's interesting because I come from the rap battle world. Or that is one of the worlds in which I come from. King of the Dot, Smack, URL, Grand Time. They've been trying to say, hey, we're a street sport right now. Can we copy the success or mimic the success of UFC and they just haven't gotten the corporate sort of backing yet for it. But it is sort of interesting to think about when looking at something that could be a new sport, you know, so you say something like drone racing. Oh, we think that can be big, but maybe something like rap battles. Oh, that's going to stay niche. It's just sort of an interesting thing to think about what has mainstream appeal.
1: Yeah. But look that the beauty of the way people consume content and discover content today is exactly where rap battle has a real opportunity, right? you look at technologies or stuff like flow sports. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but flow sports is a subscription video business where you can subscribe to more long tail sports. Yep. So they have a, a, gymnastics one, a cheerleading one, a believer rugby channel, but they have, you know, dozens of different channels, but I can subscribe to a sport that doesn't normally get a lot of coverage. And I can access that directly. And, that never existed five, six years ago. Right. Before YouTube, you where would you find a rap battle video? Right. And so I think it opens up more of an opportunity. With that piece also comes a lot of new leagues and a lot of new sports, a lot of new competition. The reality is as a sports league, people have to stop assuming that they're going to build the next NFL, right. NBA, try, MLB. Yeah. You don't need to build it in the traditional sense. None of those leagues from the get-go, if you look at it, they didn't go raise a billion dollars in venture funding to get started, right? They started fairly organically through owners coming in and funding it. And so I think a lot of things will happen organically. I think a lot of things will happen inorganically, but ultimately there's no telling what's going to work or what's not. It's just, you have to be able to get in front of your core audience for as effectively and as quickly as you possibly.
0: Can. And but you're saying people should stop building the NFL because the next NFL because why? Because it's not going to work. Look,
1: like, I, I don't. I can't say it's not going to work. I just think if you're going to build the next NFL, there's the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not to say NFL will. I, I don't think the NFL is going away. Some people yeah. think it's you know has you know limited shelf life. The reality is the NFL still makes fifteen yeah. billion plus dollars a year. It's it's no small. Entity, and because of that, I'm not saying you shouldn't create another football league, but don't try to create a league that competes directly with the NFL. at The end of the day,
0: the, the question I'm asking, curious is, it sort of sounds like there's almost like between the NBA owner, the team owner, and the players, sort of like three branches of of government, almost like three branches of the NBA, and who has the most leverage, and how do they sort of check and balance each other, and if if the NBA has the most leverage. I wonder why the, uh, the owners don't team up and say, hey, we should really just do something else here. Or or the NBA has the most power, but maybe not the most actual leverage. Because, in fact, the players probably have the most leverage in terms of, or the most true power in terms of audience loyalty. And if they, you know, if LeBron goes and plays in Puerto Rico, people are going to start watching Puerto Rico. Like, they're not replaceable, right? right? Whereas maybe the team owners and NBA is in some of the context. I the I don't know.
1: The fact of the matter is the owners have more leverage.
0: Mm-hmm. Why is that?
1: If you look at it from a dollars and cents perspective, the owners own their piece, right? As an athlete, you own obviously your time yeah. that you're with that, but you have a limited shelf life right. within which you are going to generate certain number of dollars. The average career span, whether it's NBA, NFL, whatever, is short. Sub five years, at least NFL, I think is two years, the average career span. So from that sense, Yes, maybe the elite elite athletes have leverage, more leverage, but if we're talking in terms of masses or we're yeah. talking in terms of majority, it's definitely more owners than it is the players. Right. Now, the argument can be made that the owners have paid a lot of money right, yeah. for their asset to own that asset. And, you know, local fans will say, Well, they're it's our obligation. They have all this money, they should do that. Truth is it's still a business. Yeah. The best owners are the ones that treat their teams obviously winning is the most important thing yeah. and winning solves a lot of problems, but you have to treat it like a business. Right. You can't just lose billions of dollars and expect that the enterprise value of these teams will just keep on skyrocketing up to 20 billion yeah. each. Right. So like you have to treat it as a business to a point at which you have to make tough decisions. You're ne- I can't ever name a single owner who has been liked throughout their entire duration as an owner. Not one, right. right? And that's kind of you fall in and out of the grace of fans based on how you perform and based yeah. on how you treat the players.
0: So, so Mark Cuban has more, quote-unquote, power than Adam Silver?
1: I think owners in general have more power. Yeah, I think at the end of the day— Over how the NBA is run. Yeah, I, I think they have—I I wouldn't say power or control. I think they have a significant amount of influence on how the league runs and operates. And I think it's, it's fair at the end of the day, they have paid a significant amount of money and they continue to pay payroll and everything else for the league. I I don't even know if anyone at the league would say, man, we control the owners. Right. I've never met anyone who said that. We
0: talk about sort of our political process being pretty messed up, but we we never really talk about it, about the sports decisioning process, except when there's like a lockout or something. But the NBA seems to be run pretty phenomenally with all those different interests, right? I mean, it seems hard thing to do. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I think the NBA's done a hell of a job. They're really, really good in the way they've grown over the last, call it 30 years. I think it's multiple people who have had an impact. But you look at folks like David Stern, who, you know, late 70s, you look at what their media deals looked like, and then you right. see what they were able to uh, accomplish in the 80s. And that really set the ground floor for what the NBA is today. There are also a lot of other factors that help the NBA. You have a global sport. Yeah. It's very much global in nature versus a lot of other sports here in the U S they also have very electric personalities and you know, there's this argument to be made of helmet sports versus non non helmet sports does generate bigger personalities. I can promise you, you can walk down the street right now and see 10 NFL players who you wouldn't even recognize. Maybe they're like huge or something, but if they're walking down the street, you and I may not recognize them for the fact that they always have a helmet on. Unless it's like an OBJ or it's, you know, a, a huge star. NBA is just very different. They're very front and center. And the NBA has also done a really phenomenal job of letting their players speak their mind.
0: Totally. How does a sports fan consume content in ten years?
1: Yeah, so you know, we we think about this nonstop. That's probably our biggest question we're constantly going through. I think the way we view it is Television is not going away. Although if you look at the numbers, the amount of television that is watched in its traditional sense of cable is certainly decreasing a lot amongst the younger audience. Mobile's the future. I mean, if you're not building your content for different modes of consumption, you're in trouble. And we, we are constantly looking for how are people or younger folks going to consume not only traditional sports, but we're talking more esports and gaming, and I think gambling pay, plays a big factor in this. The assumption is that you're a gambling product out there today, and you're going to expect the masses to understand what a you know point spread is, a line is, the over unders are. It's not going to happen. You're not going to capture as many people as you think. So constantly thinking about how do you create it really simple? People just pick the winner. Like going back to the basics, I think is going to help open up that market a lot, lot more. And it'll boost engagement. Mm -hmm. I think the number was something like in the, in Europe, perhaps maybe sports betting boosts engagement by 60% or 70%. Don't quote me on that, but it was, it was something really phenomenal. And at the end of the day, if you're an owner by having people watch your sport more, the media dollars go up your franchise value goes up and players get paid more. Yeah, And so I think it's very much a cyclical effect. It all comes back to how do you get people to watch more, more frequently, and how does that kind of, I guess, trickle up or trickle down across the entire ecosystem. But we also think a lot about short-form versus long-form. I mean, I can't get any of my younger cousins or anyone or – to watch anything more than 30 minutes. Like even yeah. if it's a three hour long game, like unless you're a diehard, diehard fan, you're not going to spend three hours on a Sunday yeah. just sitting glued in front of the TV. So yeah, I, I think people will be watching a lot more on mobile. I don't think it's, you know, televisions are going away. I think they're going to be complementary rather than being primary.
0: And your request for startups in terms, I mean, we mentioned five spaces earlier. but yeah. For people who want to build companies in the space, where do you think there's either white space or something that's under under explored, or or something that you think you want people to go pursue?
1: Yeah, I think uh, certainly on, you know, when we look at just global uh, spectrum of what sports is, I think there's a phenomenal amount of opportunity looking in Asia. Just given how large the audiences are, so creating much more kind of cohesive technology that helps support people's viewing habits in countries where there isn't as much infrastructure. So we've looked at a lot of stuff like that here in the U.S. I think from a esports and gaming perspective, and some folks are already doing it. I think we'll see more and more talking about youth. Um, how do we get kind of younger audiences involved and in a more structured format? We look constantly at different technologies around computer vision. I mean, the fact that we still have people who are out there filming games, I don't think that happens in 10 years. I think it's, a lot of it's going to be automated. Maybe not ESPN that's paying billions of dollars. They'll still have their production team. But why is every single game not captured out there today? Why is the youth game? Why is your kids literally baseball game not captured? Why is there not a technology that costs five bucks more a season. Yeah. That allows me to watch it. So we spend a lot of time around that capture and how do we bring all the content that's out there into one place.
0: Yeah. And last question, we're lucky enough to go about not just in 100 Thieves, but also uh, the meta, which yeah. you just led. Un- unpack your, your decision. Why, why the meta? Why are you excited about them?
1: So a couple things. You know, we, we've spent a lot of time thinking about initially the coaching market in eSports and then zoned in more on the training aspect. And, uh, you know, the team at the meta was... Huge, huge driver for us, given they've spent countless years in the industry and also have just built a really phenomenal track record of building infrastructure and technology. Second thing and what drove us really big was, you know, when you're not tied to a publisher and you can build a company that eventually can appeal to all gamers, that's a massive opportunity. And they had a lightweight enough solution where it didn't take them a year or two to spin up a new title. Or a new publisher and it could be done in a matter of days and that was really appealing to us and third and most important I think I guess in tandem with the team is the fact that the product works they have real efficacy in terms of their trainer tools and if they can create the right experience which I think we all believe they can um, I think people are going to be hooked
0: Awesome, Deepin thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Awesome, thanks for having me
0: you're an early stage entrepreneur we'd love to hear from you please hit us up at villageglobal.vc networkcatalyst network catalyst